Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of our Pro Football Weekly NFL podcast. I am Hub Arkish, the executive editor and general manager at Pro Football Weekly. I am joined by our managing editor, Arthur Arkish, and it has been a curious week around the NFL. It's been an interesting week. Uh, uh, more conversation than news, I would say, Arthur, but uh, uh, certainly that's part of what's fun about these podcasts. So let's start that conversation in Dallas, where it appears that the Cowboys have worked out a deal with DeMarcus Lawrence that will save them having to pay him on the franchise tag and uh, give them some control over their cap situation for the next few years and allow them to move on to Dak Prescott. What, uh, first of all, can you tell us about the deal uh, and, and any of the, the buzz you're hearing around it? Well, just a, a critical development, obviously, for both the Cowboys and Demarcus Lawrence. Um, it has been a, uh, we'll call it a, a volatile offseason for their defensive line with Randy Gregory and David Irving, of course, being suspended again. And uh, their team captain there, uh, also Tyrone Crawford, also under investigation by the NFL for his alleged involvement in a bar fight. So uh, to say that Demarcus Lawrence had some leverage here, and uh, we'll add in the fact that he's now undergoing shoulder surgery and was kind of holding the Cowboys high a little bit with that injury and saying uh, he would wait to sign the franchise tag and then uh, have the operation done and miss the beginning of the season. So it seemed like Lawrence had plenty of leverage, and yet I think this contract hub seems reasonable. I mean, relatively speaking, obviously, it's $105 million over five years, more than $21 million average with $65 million guaranteed, but uh, it's not in the Khalil Mack stratosphere, as it shouldn't have been. And I think when you break down the details, Trey Flowers from the Detroit Lions actually got uh, more guaranteed money or at least more money guaranteed at signing. Uh, and he's in the same zip code as Lawrence, where I don't believe he should be. So uh, it seems to me that this is a deal that can work out for both sides. Uh, and now the Cowboys can get to business with whether it's Dak Prescott or Amari Cooper. They've got other pressing uh, contract extensions to, to tend to. Um, but this on the heels of the Robert Quinn trade acquisition, uh, it's just a really it looks a lot better. Uh, the Cowboys defensive line, the state of it here today than it did as recently as 10 days ago. You know, it's interesting, Arthur. I think it raises uh, the, the bigger question that people are starting to ask is, is how much money is enough? And, and again, I'm not, I would never fault an NFL player for wringing every single penny he can out of his team and ownership because we know how much money the league is making off these players. But when you look at some of these contracts and they start to get into the debates over whether $40 million guaranteed is enough or it needs to be 45 or $50 million guaranteed, um, yes, Demarcus Lawrence has earned more money than Trey Flowers. No, he does not believe, uh, not believe, not belong in the same conversation with a Khalil Mack or an Aaron Donald. Um, but at the end of the day, 
I kind of have to take my hat off to Lawrence because obviously uh, the Cowboys came up with a number that he is smart enough to know is enough to make him wealthy for the rest of his life. We're, we're, we're into it, it, it's not yet baseball, uh, you know, or even um, the NBA. It's really comparable to hockey. But at the end of the day, um, once that guaranteed money gets over the thirty, forty, fifty million dollar mark, you're talking about generational wealth. And, and, and again, I understand these guys wanting everything they can, but but with what knowledge we have, we actually haven't seen the, the actual contract. I think you got to give a tip of the hat to Demarcus Lawrence here um, for saying, "I took care of myself, I took care of my family, and I want to be a good teammate." Yeah, I think that's accurate, Hub, and you can throw in his agent, David Cantor, did good work here uh, getting this deal done. And uh, But at the end of the day, I, I mentioned all the leverage on Lawrence's side. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out the guy's also had a back surgery in his past. He's also served a four-game suspension uh, for, I believe, for uh, substance abuse, not performance-enhancing drugs. But either way, um, he hasn't been a, a Khalil Mack-type presence uh, on the field every down, every week. So um, I'm sure that was part of the negotiation at the same time and uh, again I think what this turns to now or turns our attention to is where does Dak Prescott uh, fit into the the you know quarterback hierarchy what about Amari Cooper so uh, the negotiations won't get any less complex as Dallas's offseason continues but uh, kind of a, a refreshing change if you will I don't know if refreshing is the right word but uh, I think the Cowboys have handled this one right and again as long as they get those those guys done uh, in whatever order but Amari and Dak next you got Byron Jones down the road. You've got those talented linebackers down the road. Zeke Elliott Hub needs to be the odd man out here. If you want to talk about a guy who hasn't been the most reliable and plays a devalued position, that's what would be a true head scratcher is if somehow the Cowboys ended up giving Zeke that second big contract that Jerry Jones has at least said publicly he'd like to. Well, and I think Cowboys fans and NFL fans have to realize, I don't see this Cowboys team as really the favorite in the NFC East, let alone a legitimate Super Bowl contender in the NFC. Uh, and we can get into that uh, as we get further along in the summer. Uh, right. I mean, to me, as well as this defense has played under Rod Marinelli, uh, it has holes at almost every level. They're going to have to worry about the injury to Byron Jones now, or at least the rehab uh, from his surgery. And I look at this defensive line, and we've been talking about this for three or four years. Lawrence has worked out, but they got nothing but bad actors everywhere else you look. Uh, you know, they've gotten very fortunate with the Jalen Smith rehab and recovery. Good, you know, good for them. Great investment of a second-round draft pick. Um, but, but to me, it, it's not a defense you can count on. Then you go over to the offense. You talk about contracts for Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper turned out to be a good trade. Amari Cooper is a very good wide receiver. He's not one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL, and so it's going to be a tricky deal because he's going to want that kind of money, and there's no way that you can justify giving Dak Prescott the kind of money uh, that was just given to an Aaron Rodgers or that you would even consider giving to a Carson Wentz or a Jared Goff who are coming up. Yeah, no doubt about it. Although I will respectfully disagree on, on the, the Dallas defense having a lot of holes in it. I don't really see it that way. Yes, the Byron Jones injury is a little troubling. Yes, certainly the volatility up front uh, is troubling. But I, I think as a talented group, it's going to be really good once again, uh, or should be at least. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't know who Dak's representation is, but um, if they're smart, they're, they're going to come into this thing at a little more realistic expectation. Maybe that second, third tier of quarterbacks, because no one will 
will mistake uh, Dak Prescott for an Aaron Rodgers for uh, uh, Matt Ryan, uh, all these other guys who have gotten paid, obviously. So uh, that will be interesting uh, to be sure. But uh, it's one important uh, piece of the equation that has been taken care of here. And uh, we'll see if it uh, creates any additional movement hub with some of the other franchise tag defensive ends, whether we're talking about Jadeveon Clowney in Houston and, and Frank Clark in Seattle. I might be forgetting someone else, too. But those guys uh, also have potential long-term extension negotiations that uh, that won't be easy because uh, they're not the perfect players. And, and um, uh, again, we can see that this uh, there's a lot of layers when you're talking about this type of money. So uh, I'm, I'm just as interested to see sort of the domino effect of the Lawrence deal. But uh, on the surface, it looks like a good one for both sides. Well, and just to be very clear, Arthur, I, I'm not suggesting in any way that it's not a talented defense. There, There's plenty of talent. But uh, the, the concern I would have if I was a Cowboy fan is that Robert Quinn hasn't been an elite pass rusher for two or three years now. That's why he was available. Uh, you lose Irving, you lose Gregory, you don't know where you're at with Crawford, and you've got the shoulder surgery to Demarcus Lawrence, and that all flows downhill or backwards. And, and so sure. if that defensive line is not the factor that it was last year, and it looks now like it's not going to be able to be, at least early in the season, uh, that's where I start to worry about that defense. But uh, I get it. Hey, hey, Hub, hey, Hub, Michigan man, where, where's your guy Taco Charlton? He, he can never solve should, a lot. I told you last year he was not a first round draft pick. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, people got excited. I watched him for three years at Michigan, and just because you go to the school doesn't mean you want to be foolish when it comes to analyzing draft picks. I mean, he never should have been drafted as high as he was. There were question marks that came with him. Uh, he still has some ability to to be a professional pass rusher in the NFL, sure. but I'm not sure I ever saw a double digit sack guy there. No, you you did, and I'm having some fun with you. You're right. I do like another of the Michigan uh, alum from the Cowboys though, in Jordan Lewis and. And uh, obviously the Robert Quinn acquisition, it's it's the Cowboys hedging. They've acknowledged uh, that Charlton has not come close to matching expectations. So that's what made the Quinn move a smart one. You're right. He doesn't look like the same uh, guy in, uh, you know, that, that was in St. Louis and even L.A. But we should point out that he's coming off his healthiest season, uh, frankly, since those record-breaking years early on and um, didn't cost the Cowboys a whole lot. So I thought that was a very smart move as well. Yeah, and I think with the Charlton, we'll use that as a bit of a segue to something we're talk about a little later in the podcast um but but it's an interesting you know player to look at because he has a chance to be a good player in the NFL but to me he was always a classic example of a great college player who didn't have the NFL body and when we talk about some of these kids needing to get in the weight room needing to get stronger uh, and when you start to grade these prospects particularly on the offensive defensive line and you hear that a kid is country strong that's the kid you want when you see one of these great athletes who are a product of the weight room and look like they could be very strong but in fact they don't blow it up you know with, with the bench press or other other strength tests that's when you got to worry a little bit and i think that's where the and i'm not saying the cowboys made a mistake he was a late first round pick so we'll see how it turns out um but but i think that's why he hasn't projected or translated as well to the nfl as he did in michigan and Hub, whether we get to it today, you know, great points. I mean, off the hoof, though, you know, 6'6", 277, vines for arms, so has the length and the size, but you're right, maybe not quite the strength you want to see on film. Um, again, I don't know if we'll get to it today. It's not necessarily on our sort of talking points here, but Another one of those guys at Michigan Hub who you thought the production should have been better. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking over the next several weeks. We'll continue to talk a lot about uh, another one of those instances with Rashawn Gary. So I'm not saying they're the same player. Uh, this is an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but I do remember people wondering why Charlton didn't have even slightly bigger numbers, and that's certainly been one of the bigger storylines of this draft as it relates to Rashawn Gary and even Ed Oliver you can throw in there as well. Well, let me get Oliver, I've only watched a little bit of tape on, but let me get on the record with Gary right now. 
now, um, uh, and it'll be much like last year. I see him in the top five of many respected mock drafts. I see him in the top ten of almost every mock draft. I would never take him in the top 15 or top 20. Uh, this is a young man who was the number one high school prospect in the country uh, three years ago, who at moments looked like he could be the next Aaron Donald, only bigger and stronger uh, and, and, and more versatile as far as where he can play. But those moments were few and far between. And, and Rashawn Gary comes with a bunch of question marks. And, and on my draft board, he sits somewhere between 18 and 26. And, and I think it'll be very interesting uh, to see what happens with him. But, but a team that takes him in the top five or top ten, which is where he's being projected, my advice would be buyer beware. Fascinating stuff, and Hub did file his uh, Rashawn Gary. We're doing these little mini scouting reports. We're not trying to. We know Greg Gabriel is our lead talent evaluator. He's the guy grinding all the film. But Hub and I have been doing shorter write-ups, and I know Rashawn Gary was on Hub's list. So if you're not subscribed to the Pro Football Weekly Draft coverage, you really need to. The best way to do it: just buy a magazine. You get all of our coverage for free online. Uh, it's like ten bucks for the mag, and then again, you get all kinds of perks that come with it. Uh, Rashawn Gary's evaluation from Hub Arkish among them. All righty, Arthur. Since we last visited with all of our podcast listeners, and uh, we've been bringing in some pretty good guests in recent weeks, so I can't remember if you and I were together on the last PFW one or not, but I do know that since we did that last podcast, a roughly 75,000 to 100,000-word story broke on Bleacher Report is what I'm trying to say uh, about the Green Bay Packers, or not really about the Packers, more about the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and and Mike McCarthy. Um, it should be old news by now. It is not. A lot of people still talking about it because of the uh, the really significant shots it took at both the coach and the quarterback, and even beyond that, the Packer organization. Uh, many of us have had different reactions to it. The story by Tyler Dunn uh, at Bleacher Report, it's still there. I would suggest if you're an NFL fan, it is worth the read. you got to give yourself about a half an hour, but it is worth the read. Um, but, but then you've got to take a step back and say, okay, what should I really make of this? I know you and I uh, had very different reactions to it, so I will let you go first. Well, you know, I, the revealing aspect of it, Hub, was in all the details. It was in the allegations that Mike McCarthy was in his uh, in his office getting massages during some team meetings, and he has absolutely refuted that as strongly as possible. And we should point out that since this story broke last week, uh, yes, it's our first chance to react to it on the podcast, but uh, countless uh, teammates, past and present, of both Aaron Rodgers, past and present players of Mike McCarthy have become, uh, have taken very, very strong uh, points of view in defense uh, of their guys. So there are two sides to every story, no doubt about it. Um, but I thought it was in some of the details. Uh, again, true or not, a lot of them were coming from unnamed sources. So uh, you have to choose what you want to believe. I think Ty Dunn is an excellent reporter. He has been in Green Bay for years or was in Green Bay for years prior to going to Bleacher Report. So uh, you can trust that he has built up some contacts there. But uh, that's what jumped out to me. Some of the other details, like Aaron Rodgers, uh his young receivers were not, you know, taking his orders in the huddle uh, and adjusting routes the way he wanted them. And he froze out. I can't remember now, excuse me, whether it was Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Equinemius St. Brown late in the season, but he just stopped looking his way because uh, the receiver wasn't kind of following his rogue quarterback versus uh, the play calls coming in from the sideline. So um, those details are fascinating. And at the same time, Hub, we knew that everything wasn't uh, honky-dory, obviously, between Rodgers and McCarthy over the years, but 
but uh, to hear at least one source tell Dunn that uh, the beginning of this, uh, you know, this friction actually began, excuse me, uh, long-winded, I know, but began before Rodgers was actually even uh, became a Packer, and the fact that Mike McCarthy was with the 49ers when they drafted Alex Smith overall, leading to Aaron Rodgers' green room tumble, uh, there's all kinds of interesting stuff in there. I, I think more importantly... Uh, is what happens next for both Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and Mike McCarthy. What is the fallout uh, from this report? We've seen Rodgers have a chance to talk on the record this week, uh, basically saying that it was a smear attack by Ty Dunn and that he only talked to irrelevant uh, or mostly irrelevant former players like Jermichael Finley and Greg Jennings. So we've heard similar attack from Aaron Rodgers before, but uh, interesting to hear him get to, to comment directly uh, in response to the story. Uh, also, Habu uh, should just mention there and Rodgers said yesterday I believe on ESPN uh, with Jason Wild that he played last year through a what is it, a tibial fracture in his Tibia, leg yeah, basically a, from a, the a broken opener. leg he played on all season uh, so doubt this guy's leadership if you want you know question whether his play has fallen off in recent years but if you question his toughness you you are just absurd because that's a an amazing revelation that we found out yeah, I don't think anybody's questioning his toughness. I, the problem you get now is, is that credibility has been stretched so far on all directions that there's all kinds of tibial fractures. <laughs> you know? and so uh, you, okay. you, you just don't know what to buy here. Tyler Dunn is absolutely a respected reporter, worked four months on this story, um, allegedly did over 50 interviews, and that's one of the things that, that troubles me so much about it. If he did 50 interviews and only got four of those guys, really three and a half, to go on the record. Dewan Harris had one comment that was kind of irrelevant to the whole story. And those three right. players clearly had agendas, and that was Jermichael Finley, uh, Greg Jennings, who have been Rogers detractors for at least five, six years now, and then Ryan Grant, who for some reason has been a big Rogers fan and has been a McCarthy detractor. And the other 47 wouldn't go on the record. The red yeah. flags go up right there. And that, as his editor, um, as the publisher, I would have had... Uh, some real issues with, I, I think you could have done the same story and balanced out the guys on the record with the guys off the record, instead of maybe a couple dozen quotes, it seems like, from people off the record, all of which were pretty much character assassinations. Very few, you, you use the word details, uh, you know, I guess technically they're details, but, but, but we don't know what to believe or who to believe, and, and as you pointed out, um, I don't know how many it's been, but I'll just say numerous former teammates uh, and people in the organization have come out to dispute the story, I haven't heard anybody come out to defend it. And now they probably wouldn't because they were all anonymous to begin with. Um, so it really, to me, it, it doesn't take away the work or the effort by Tyler Dunn. I don't think anybody, and by the way, we knew because it's our job that there was dysfunction between McCarthy and, and, and Rogers long before this, but that it rises to anywhere near the level that is suggested in this story. I just think you got to take it all with a grain of salt. Um, I would add to it, um, in my uh, second or third job or fourth, whichever one it is, uh, as a sideline reporter for Westwood One uh, for national broadcasts of NFL games, I have done, I've been trying to do the math on it, but, but since McCarthy and Rogers got together, over a dozen of their games worked on the sidelines, stood 10, 15, 20 feet from them, and in all that time have never seen a single interaction that was any different from anything I saw from any other quarterback or coach in the NFL. Now, I'm not going to say that that means that none of this can be true. Obviously, it doesn't mean that at all. 
but I do think it's relevant input, you know, and so this is where we got to take a step back. Um, uh, and I just, I don't understand some of the things that were in it. Uh, specifically, there's a report that Mike McCarthy missed team meetings to have massages in his office. But if you read the story carefully, it's actually an unsourced original rumor that was reported by somebody else who was also anonymous, you know, and, and so that's the kind of stuff that, that, that really bothers me. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I think the question for the Green Bay Packers and for Packers fans is what happens going forward. Um, there, there was one report in the story, again, from an anonymous source, that Aaron Rodgers was not consulted by either Brian Gutenkust or uh, Mark Murphy about the hiring of Matt LaFleur. I personally don't believe he needs to be cons- uh, consulted. He, he's not management. He's a player. Um, but the flip side of it is that he was also told, don't become the problem with this guy. Well, he he denies that he was ever told that, and Mark Murphy and Brian Gukust have not said in any way that he was told that. And, and, and so, you know, not only does this story paint the past in an unflattering light, it immediately starts to set the table for problems in the future that may not be there. Yeah, no doubt about it, Hub. And I think even without that quote, uh, don't be the problem, don't be the problem at the end of the conversation and reportedly there was a long silence when Murphy first called and said we're going with Matt LaFleur uh, more to the point I mean if you, you digested the story properly the the most scathing stuff is that neither Mike McCarthy or Aaron Rodgers is willing to adapt McCarthy uh, with his scheme over the years that certainly got stale uh, and then Rodgers which is sort of maybe his leadership style and, and willingness to buy into a stale scheme so well here we are first new coach and uh, what is it uh, 13 years or whatever it is, uh, a guy who's only a few years older than Aaron Rodgers and, uh, you know, obviously is only doing this for the first time. Um, will Rodgers be reinvigorated by a new scheme, by a new voice, uh, just by a new dynamic within the the, uh, the organization? That's obviously the, the $64,000 question. I, I don't know what the answer is to it right now, uh, but certainly the, uh, the you know, the, the magnifying lens has sort of intensified uh, on this whole situation now in light of this uh, story. And, and it's going to be fascinating to see. Remember, the Packers just went all in on free agency, spent, what, $60, $70 million guaranteed to help rebuild their defense. So uh, clearly Brian Gutekunst sees this Super Bowl window as being open with Aaron Rodgers. He envisions a big bounce back uh, in his play on the field and uh, just some more, I don't want to call them distractions, but just more stuff that they need to weigh through uh, as they try and you know turn the page from uh, just a very unpackers like past 24 months uh, for the organization. You know, Arthur, the, the final word on this for me, at least for now, we'll see if more comes of it uh, down the road is that, and nobody questions that Aaron Rodgers is one of the two, three, five greatest quarterbacks of all time. There's no question about that. His unique talents on the field make him special, and somebody you would think that almost any team would want to have, unless he was responsible for all this dysfunction that he's being accused of. And if, in fact, he was, would the Green Bay Packers have broken the bank to make him the highest-paid player in football? Because certainly... Mark Murphy and Brian Gutenkust were aware of all of this or however much of it is true before that contract was done. Think about what they could have gotten if they had chosen to deal Aaron Rodgers. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous. You're going to trade Aaron Rodgers. But if this is all that he brings with him, I don't give him $180 million. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Rogers almost he he said something similar. He's like, well, they just re-signed me, and and, and he he took a different tack. He said, why would I sign on the dotted line if I felt like I knew I was going to be with Mike McCarthy? This guy couldn't work with anymore. So uh, either things devolved uh, immensely last year. Um, the Packers brass was willing to look past some stuff. Or we have to mention as a possibility, a lot of this is fabricated and and things aren't as bad as they appear. So, uh, again, we can't wait to see uh, what becomes of it, Hub. I know we've only got a few minutes left, but I know we want to talk about some more dysfunction with another uh, one of the NFL's oldest and most respected franchises. Yeah, and and let's be real careful. There's something you just said, which which is not what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting Tyler Dunn is a good reporter. I'm not suggesting any of this is fabricated because I don't know. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Excuse me. Yes. Those are the wrong words. I don't mean Ty Dunn, but I mean all these unnamed sources who wouldn't go on the record uh, with all these, uh, you know, these shocking, uh, you know, allegations in specific stories is what I meant. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All right, guys, we really appreciate all of you being with us as well as our great sponsors and everybody who helps us make this podcast uh, possible. We've got just a few minutes left, but we do want to get some draft talk in this week as well. Uh, Arthur, another subject, uh, much like the Packers story, I was pretty much in the minority when that thing first broke about being more concerned about the way the story was told than what was in it. Um, I look at the draft upcoming, and I see the Arizona Cardinals sitting at number one. I, I, I don't mind getting out on limbs. They've broken off underneath me before and I've survived the fall. I think that the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury to be their head coach is going to turn out to be one of the all-time bad hires, and I have some justification for starting there, considering that their last head coach hire was a one-and-done and a bit of an embarrassment. I don't know if Steve Wilk deserved that or not, but that's what happened. But you go get a guy who was 30 and 40 at kind of a Tier 2 program at Texas Tech, got fired three months ago, and now suddenly he's going to be your best candidate to be a head coach in the NFL. Okay, that's on the Bidwells and Steve Kime. Now we give Cliff Kingsbury a chance. I'm not Nothing personal. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I hope he's successful, but that's kind of where I start with this. And now, because he's your coach, you're going to go draft Kyler Murray number one overall when prior to Cliff Kingsbury getting that job, most draft experts we had uh, and were reading weren't even sure if Kyler Murray was a first-round draft pick. Yeah, we've come a long way, I would say, in a short amount of time. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like we have... um, you know, we both been out there on a limb with this, and we think that it would be pretty absurd to take a Kyler Murray over a Nick Bosa or a Quinnen Williams or heck, even uh, you know, arguably Dwayne Haskins. If you you feel like you need to reset the quarterback position one year after trading up for Josh Rosen, so uh, we agree it's about is uh, out there of a line of thinking and a strategy as possible. Um, but can we agree, Hub, at this point that? It is going to happen. I mean, Eric Burkhart, the agent for Kyler Murray, went on the visit to Arizona this week. Um, Now, that's not to say that they're working on the contract yet or that that's that unusual because there have been other instances. Um, But where are you at in terms of what you're hearing? Uh, Because I am now fully convinced that the Cardinals are prepared to take Kyler Murray number one overall. 
Well, I, I, I'm convinced, too, although the, the agent has little to do with it. I, I, one thing I've learned in 40-plus years in this business is other than a few guys, uh, Jack Mills was certainly always one, Lee Steinberg, Jack Worth. Uh, there's a few others. Tom Condon, I think, is highly reputable. But for the most part, anything an agent does to me makes things less likely to be true rather than more. Uh, so I won't go that far. And I don't know Murray's agent. I'm not trying to take a shot at him. Uh, it does appear, you know, this is what they're going to do. Um, and, and But but it's just, it, I, I really was using it more as a segue than anything else because uh, to me Dwayne Haskins is clearly the better NFL prospect because nobody who isn't going to run, uh, I shouldn't say this, and nobody I've talked to who doesn't plan to run uh, Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense would even consider taking Kyler Murray over Dwayne Haskins. This is about a fit for a system or a scheme. Um, I think almost every draft expert would agree if all things were equal and the guy had to play in any offense you put out there, that Dwayne Haskins would be the better prospect. And by the way, if you look at their 2018 seasons, as good as Myler, uh, Murray's numbers were, Haskins were better uh, as far as a passer and an NFL quarterback prospect. Um, but What's interesting is not only does it seem that it's a done deal, a fait accompli, that Kyler Murray is going to go number one overall to Arizona, we are now hearing from a lot of places that Dwayne Haskins' stock is falling and that he may be dropping out of the top ten. You know, he's still, I think everybody agrees, is going to be the second quarterback taken, but for reasons that we can't seem to uncover or get our arms around, um, it's, you know, some people are just calling it lying season in the NFL, and it is. Uh, it's probably one or two teams that want Haskins that are planting all these seeds. But the bottom line is that his stock does seem to be falling right now. Yeah, and I just wanted to very quickly add to the Murray-Kingsbury stuff. A little ironic, too, that Kingsbury has never actually had the type of dual threat. Well, I know there's only one Kyler Murray, but even a run-first quarterback for that air raid offense in which he struggled at Texas Tech. So uh, there's still some projecting involved here, too, which I just get a kick out of. But uh, relative to Dwayne Haskins, that's all I can make of it. Uh, And I thought Greg Gabriel on Twitter yesterday put it perfectly right, and you just kind of mentioned it, too. There's got to be a team just outside the top 10, top 12 who is in love with Haskins and is hoping uh, that some of this silly stuff that, that that's fed to the media is somehow going to lead to his tumble. Uh, he hasn't done anything else. I mean, he's been meeting privately with clubs. And, and although, unfortunately, I'm not privy to those private meetings, what Haskins, where he should thrive the most is on the whiteboard and in his offensive knowledge. And I just refuse to believe uh, that he is tanking those interviews. And we all saw the pro day, which make of it what you will, a quarterback throwing against air. But he was he was awesome at his pro day so no issues there either um i just don't understand this again except for there's a team in love with him hoping that something will happen and he will fall but hub i don't think he's gonna fall because a team that's in love with him uh is gonna realize what a rare prospect he is and they're gonna end up going up and trading up we see it every year to go get their guy yeah i mean the only red flags the only singular red flag that i've seen on Dwayne haskins is the fact that he only did it for one year but so did Kyler Murray. <laughs> you know, so it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, teams seem to have gotten over that. Uh, uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky had the one season uh, and seems to be working out for the Chicago Bears. Uh, we're going backwards a bit, but of course, Cam Newton just had the one season at Auburn. Um, you know, if that's the only red flag you've got, again, you know, maybe you drop him a pick or two, but to have him sliding out of the top 10 when, when he probably should be, you know, when, when you think about the value of a number one overall pick and take away the focus on Kingsbury's offense and the unique prospect that he wants to run it, 
Dwayne Haskins should be the number one overall pick in this draft because of the way quarterbacks are overvalued. And, and yet now the idea that he's the one that's dropping and, and they're locking in on Murray, uh, it really is one of the more interesting stories I've seen in the draft in recent years. The only other thing, Hub, I can think of is that of the sort of consensus top four, and we're adding in Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, uh, Haskins clearly is the least athletic. He has the, 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 the most limited mobility. He is the most classic drop-back pocket passer. Now, I don't believe that should be stigmatized. I'm not saying it is, but if you look at the NFL in 2019, certainly uh, the flavor of the year, if you will, are the guys that can get outside and create. That is not Dwayne Haskins. Um, that potentially is these other three it's just the only other thing i can come up with here and i am kind of grasping at straws because i think he's such a wonderful prospect and i think he is going to be uh successful in the nfl and be successful early because of the way he has been uh prepared for this in urban meyer's offense because of the transition that i think should be if not seamless uh, somewhat close to it yeah and i'm not disagreeing with you arthur but i would also challenge you and our listeners to go back and watch a little more tape on Dwayne haskins and God knows how much this pains me to have to be defending this Buckeye as a Michigan alum. But um, in fact, uh, you know, Tom Brady's not real athletic either. Look at the way that Haskins moves in the pocket. He does extend plays. He does have the ability to get outside the pocket and find receivers and make big plays downfield. It's one of the things that made him so successful at Ohio State. Is he going to be running for positive yardage? Not often. Does he have great speed? No, he doesn't. He is a classic drop-back quarterback. But, but one of the things that makes him so attractive to me is his ability to slide and move in the pocket and extend plays. Yeah, I, you know, he's not uh, he's not Tom Brady in terms of being a, a complete statue, but of course Tom Brady's the ultimate outlier as well. So, you know, we'll see. Um, this thing is going to uh, continue to, to get legs, I think, over the, the final couple weeks, and, 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 and we'll just have to uh, kind of see where it goes next. But I, I think we're on the same page here with Dwayne Haskins as an absolutely legitimate uh, top-of-the-round-one quarterback prospect, and it'll be fascinating to see which team ultimately does agree. Uh, one more quick topic before we say goodbye this week, Arthur. It's uh, it's sleeper watch. We're within a couple weeks of the NFL college draft now. Um, there are uh, with the way that this industry of draft nicks has grown, there are fewer and fewer surprises and secrets out there every year. Um, but there's always a few. And so uh, I will let you go first. Who are uh, a player or two uh, who have climbed up your list who a lot of people may not even be all that familiar with? Well, certainly, Hub, at the safety position, I think both Darnell Savage Jr., uh, that's a guy that you know is creating a ton of buzz because of his pre-draft process, Juan Thornhill, too. So you got Virginia and Maryland, and these two dudes have just blown up the athletic portions uh, of the pre-draft process and shown that really they are unique prospects. But someone we're not talking about as much, and you're not going to find him on day three. I think he's probably going to be gone on day two. But Amani Hooker of Iowa, another safety that just really uh, impresses me and has done well for himself in this pre-draft process. I think he has uh, shown he can be a playmaker. I think he's shown he can be that two-way safety uh, who can live up close near the line of scrimmage, play in space, cover tight ends, uh, pretty much do it all. And I've just been really impressed with the type of NFL prospects that Iowa has been cranking out in recent years. So Amani Hooker is a guy I've got my uh, my eyes on. And I'll give you one more uh, at the quarterback position, actually, going back to that discussion. And uh, again, not a guy you're going to find in round seven. I think probably early uh, on day 
three, if not later on day two, but Ryan Finley of North Carolina State. You talk about these guys who uh, should be ready quickly in the NFL. Uh, and I just really like the way that, uh, you know, he was, you know, trained or, or coached up at North Carolina State, uh, looked at the whole field, had to go through progressions, uh, know his arm talent isn't going to blow you away, but I think his intangibles will. Uh, and I think one team is going to fall in love with those intangibles. And maybe he goes even a little bit earlier uh, than I'm projecting, but in sort of a, a bit of a watered-down quarterback class after that top four, uh, I think Ryan Finley is a, a guy who's got a chance to sort of rise to the top. All right, well, I've got a few guys mostly on offense. I've got one cornerback that I like a lot, but I'll stay at quarterback first. And, and you know, Tyree Jackson, I guess he's not a sleeper only because he, he had such a great combine performance and uh, he is so unique in size and athleticism. But the kid from Buffalo, uh, I just he's climbing up draft boards. And, and, and if you're not familiar with him, take a look at him. Uh, he's almost 6'7". He's 245, 250 pounds. And I believe he ran an under 4'6", or right around 4'6". 640, uh, and he has the, the biggest arm of any quarterback in the draft. Played at Buffalo. He's going to be a project, but he's also a guy who some will project as, as a tight end. Uh, some might project as a wide receiver. And, and I look at the way that, that Sean Payton used Taysom Hill last year, uh, and, and I could see Tyree Jackson being that guy for a couple years before he actually has a chance to become an NFL quarterback. And the other guy who is a sleeper is, is a lot. Nobody's talking about Clayton Thorson from, from Northwestern. Um, but you go back and look at, at the tape and the situations that he found himself in and, and you know we talk about some prospects who come from these these big schools the Alabamas the Georgias the Ohio states the Michigans uh, you know and we talk about sometimes their performance uh, being overvalued because of all the talent that was around them versus the competition this Clayton Thorson is the exact opposite I mean you know Northwestern got by on coaching and, and, and character and, and and desire and technique uh, and, and Thorson Thorson, you know, I think seems to do it all. I've got a running back for you, and, and you should have heard of him if you read our magazine. You did, uh, but Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma, I don't hear anybody talking about, and that's because while he looks like he could be a potential Pro Bowler at six foot half an inch, two hundred and twenty two pounds with excellent speed and quickness, he was injured almost his entire career at Oklahoma, and so this is one of those boomer bust picks where you know if you take him, you better be prepared to deal with the possibility for injuries. But if this kid now is able to stay healthy, um, you may get somebody really special who I suspect, because of the injury history, is going to be sitting there in the third, maybe even in the fourth round. So uh, it'll be interesting to see um, what happens there. I've got one interior offensive lineman for you who I don't know if he'll get drafted. He may be a priority free agent, but I think now he may sneak into the sixth or seventh round. He did play in the East-West Shrine game. It's Nick Allegretti, a kid from Illinois. And no, the University of Illinois' football program has not gotten anybody excited for a long time. But this kid is a four-year starter down there, and you go back and, and, and watch him. He played center. He played both guard positions. And I think he's got a future in the NFL, certainly as a key backup, if not eventually a starting guard. One other player uh, on the defensive side, side. I got a cornerback from you from Mississippi State, Jamal Peters. I was watching him the other night, and I was actually looking at somebody else at Mississippi State, and I saw him make a couple plays, so then I went back looking for some more film. 
Peters is 6'1 and a half, 217 pounds, and yet played corner for Mississippi State. He has excellent coverage skills. One of the things that some teams are going to like about him is that he could go inside at safety. He might even be able to play the nickel, although he is big for that position. He could very well be the next Dion Buchanan, um, uh, you know, Mark Barron, the, the hybrid uh, safety linebacker type. But I'm starting with him at cornerback because with that size and with his 4-5 speed and the coverage skills that he showed, interestingly enough, with that size, Arthur, the wrap on him is that he may not be as physical as you would like, but you can teach physical if a kid wants to have a career in the NFL, and he's got the body type and the intangibles to be pretty good at it. Bob, I know we're about out of time here, but I just want to throw on one more name because you just jogged my memory. One of my favorite parts of the pre-draft process is when you go to watch one kid on tape and someone else just kind of flashes, someone you're not expecting to be studying. That happened to me this week watching Andre Dillard, the excellent offensive tackle from Washington State. No, of course he's not a sleeper. He might be a top 10 pick. But his teammate, James Williams, the running back there at Washington State, was used almost exclusively as a pass-catching back, but... Well, A, that's never been a more valuable uh, quality to have or a more valuable skill on the NFL. And B, when he did get chances to run with the football, you saw an impressive player. He's got some explosiveness. Uh, he's got some creativity to him. And again, I just think in a league where uh, guys like James White and you know Tariq Cohen, all these great pass-catching backs uh, have never been more important. Uh, someone's going to get a really good one uh, in this Washington State product who might even be able to help on the ground too. Uh, so he's one more guy that I'm keeping an eye on uh, likely on day three of the draft all righty arthur we are out of time i thank you so much for being with me again this week we will be back next week we of course want to thank our executive producer dan mott he's the guy that makes all this possible and makes it happen our thanks to our great sponsors we want to remind you again not only is it not too late now is the time you must get your hands on your copy of the 2019 pro football weekly nfl college draft guide it's available at your local bookstores and newsstands you can go to amazon and get it you can go to profootballweekly.com and get it. You also want to get to profootballweekly.com and check out a subscription to our 24-7 constantly updated draft coverage as we get more information on some of the top prospects. And with that, we look forward to visiting with you again next week here on our Pro Football Weekly podcast. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.